My name is Matt. I'm the high school pastor here, and I'm happy to be with you. Good morning to everybody watching online. Uh, I want to start by telling you guys a little story, something that happened a couple months ago. I was driving from across the street from the Community Life Center over here to the church, and I was approaching the, the stop sign, the four-way stop, and I got stopped behind a, a truck. And I, I stopped there, and, and I noticed that a couple cars have gone through the intersection, and we hadn't. And so I did what any normal person would do in that moment. I, I honked my horn, right? And it was, it was a polite honk. It was just a little tap, right? Just to say, hey, pay attention, okay? But then after that, nothing happened. And more cars go through. And so I'm getting a little frustrated. And, and so I do what all of us would do in this moment. I, I honk my horn again. But this time it wasn't the nice little tap. It was the couple, you know, three second long honks just to say, hey, let's go. Like it's our turn. And, and again, nothing happens. And so, man, at, at this, I'm, I'm frustrated. So I decide to take things into my own hands. And so I decide I'm going to drive around the truck and I'm just going to pass it. And so as I'm doing that, I, I get up next to the truck and I do what all of us do in that moment where I, I turn, I give them the look, right? You guys, everybody has a look, right? When you're passing a car and you're like, what are you doing, right? So I get up there to, to give them that look and I look over and Nobody's in the truck. <laughs> and, and in that moment, I'm like, that's, that's strange, but it's not my problem. So I just decide to keep going, and I, and I, look, I look up, and across the, across the intersection, there's two guys, and they're, they're pushing a car on the road into the parking lot. And I'm like, oh, no. So I get up there, and I see there's a young driver in the car. Clearly, she had broken down, and these guys were just trying to help her, and so I so I get closer because that's the direction that I'm going and they give me the look, <laughs> right? Which is, you're the guy that was honking at us and we're just trying over here. I felt like such a jerk, but I couldn't do anything in that moment but just to look at them and say, I'm sorry, right? I'm sorry. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, a moment where you just, you need forgiveness. You've been in the wrong, you, you just need forgiven. And Forgiveness is such a central theme in the New Testament. It's going to be our theme today as we continue through Matthew chapter 18. What does it mean to grow deeper as a follower of Christ? That's really what this is all about. It's one thing to know him, but it's another thing to live like him. And when we talk about forgiveness, we can all recognize that we need to be forgiven. In fact, that's not a hard concept for us to, to understand. The longer that you live, the more that you recognize your sin. What becomes a challenge is when you need to offer forgiveness to other people, when you need to be the one forgiving. And so that's why this statement's validity is so important for us to understand, is that conflict will happen. If you live long enough, you, you know that this is true. Conflict will happen. And so it's the, it's the center of anything eventful. It's the center of any good movie that you watch. Conflict is going to happen. Intentional or unintentional. Maybe it's already happened for you today. When it involves people, it usually needs to end with, I'm sorry and I forgive you. In the 1950s and 60s, there was a lot of conflict that was surrounding the civil rights movement as it was generating. Stuff was said, stuff was done that, that hurt people. And so this is what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. 
There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. Forgiveness is such an important characteristic for any person. People have written books about forgiveness. People have laid out step-by-step guides on how to forgive. And I can't stand up here and do that for you today. But what I can do is show you what Jesus said about this and what we can learn from him. And so the conversation starts in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. As Peter and Jesus have this interaction, this is what happens. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Doesn't this just fit right in with where we've been with Matthew chapter 18? If you can remember at the beginning of the chapter, his disciples come up to him and say, who's going to be the greatest? Like which one of us, Jesus, because we know it's one of us, which one of us is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And here Peter comes up to him and says, how many times should I forgive? Which seems like a, a great question, but then he offers his own answer. He says, up to seven times, which is, which is important. There's a couple things happening here. And the first thing we have to understand is that the Jewish number here would have been three. It would have been three. We get that from a couple Old Testament texts about forgiveness is that three was the expectation. You forgive somebody three times after that, hey, listen, it's on them. Like they should have learned, they should have got it. And so Peter, he knows this, but he also knows Jesus. And he also knows how how Jesus likes to take things up a notch, right? He's heard the Sermon on the Mount. He's heard Jesus over and over again say, hey, you've heard that it was said this, but I tell you this. And so, Jesus, so Peter tries to get ahead of the game a little bit here, right? So he says, seven, right? Jesus, that's, that's double plus one, okay? So that's gotta, be, that's, that's gotta be the number. Seven's this biblical number of completeness. Is it seven? And Jesus' response is not seven times, but 77 Okay, that's a, a lot more than any of us were expecting, Jesus. Like, does that span a lifetime or is that in one day? How's this, how's this gonna work? The number 77 isn't the number. Jesus is using a play on, on Peter's words and the, the number is really infinite. You see, the concept of forgiveness, it doesn't sound universally new for us, but to a first century Jew, this would have taken them back a bit. When, when have they been asked to forgive? Their history is filled with war and capture. And now they're living in a Roman culture that is dominating their worldview. And so this idea of forgiveness wasn't an easy thing for them to comprehend. But as always, Jesus doesn't just throw out a command and leave it there. He unpacks it for them and talks to them about who God is and what this is all about. So we're going we're gonna to stand to read our text now. It's in Matthew chapter 18. I invite you to stand with me as we read this parable that Jesus tells to explain his answer. Here's what he says. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. 
He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Thank you. You can be seated. This is a classic parable that you have most likely heard before. It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And today, as we continue to walk through the book of Matthew, we're going to talk about forgiveness. There are three scenes in this parable, and the first scene is between the king and a servant who owes him a great deal of wealth. In fact, Jesus says it's 10,000 bags of gold. Maybe some of your Bibles say a talent is another way that's translated, but it's the most valuable currency. Bag of gold. Like, can you imagine carrying around a bag of gold, like a pirate or something? But this is what Jesus says. And, and also he says 10,000, and this is... 10,000 was the single largest number that the Greek language had a, a, a word for. And so literally, this was the largest number that Jesus could have said. The number was huge. And so scholars say that this number would have equaled out to, if you could wrap your minds around this, 275,000 years of labor for an average worker. That, that was the debt. It was, it was unrepayable. It would have been like me telling you that you owe me a zillion dollars, right? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? How much is that? It, that's what Jesus is doing here. It was, it was such a big number. It speaks to the magnitude of the debt. And that is such an important thing to recognize at the beginning of this parable. We're not just talking about something big. We're talking about something that would have been impossible, literally impossible for this man to pay back. And so the servant was told the punishment and then he begs for patience. Notice he didn't ask for forgiveness. Notice he didn't ask for the debt to be canceled or erased. He asked for patience. And that's why our first idea, if you're taking notes, is this, is that God's forgiveness is given freely. It may not be news to you, but this is the beauty of following Jesus. Notice what he says. The master's, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. This word pity is something that we can't gloss over. We can't just read and, and, and not try to comprehend it because it teaches us a lot about God. Remember, this is a, this is a parable. And so Jesus is, is telling a story. This isn't something that actually happened. Jesus is telling a story. And this story teaches us about the kingdom. It teaches us, it teaches us about God. And so we have to take every word into consideration. So when he says pity, this word in the Greek language kind of translates better for us as to be moved with compassion. In fact, all the other times in the New Testament that this word is used in the Greek language, it means that Jesus was moved with compassion and then he did something about it. And here Jesus uses this word to say that the king was moved with compassion and then he canceled the debt. The massive, unrepayable debt. There is no way that the servant could have done anything to make this right. But the king was moved with compassion. God's forgiveness is given Freely, And this is so critical for us to get because if you're like me, sometimes 
you feel like you have to do something to be worthy of forgiveness. And I think that stems from our human relationships where uh, when we're at odds with someone, we say, well, when you do this, I will forgive you. Or when you say sorry, I will forgive you. Or when you make it right, I will forgive you. Sometimes that's how we deal with our human relationships. We, we think that, that something has to be done in order for forgiveness to be given. And that kind of thinking seeps into our relationship with God. And that's why if you've ever thought these type of thoughts, why would God forgive me? I've gone too far. I've done too much. I've crossed the line. Why would he forgive me? I can't get this right. I can't fix this. And that type of thinking, it, 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 when, it, when it comes into our minds, that's not, this is not how God has it in mind. In fact, some churches and some denominations really get this wrong and they teach their people what they have to do to receive God's forgiveness. While there's certainly valid ways to live in, in obedience with God's word and, and how he wants us to live and the type of people that he wants us to be, nothing can replace the theology that God's forgiveness is given freely. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can say. There's nothing that, 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 is, that, that you can do that will be able to pay for the forgiveness that you need. This is the truth that we have to understand. And this is what Jesus is trying to, to say. And and not only say, but he exhibits this behavior a couple chapters later. Because not long after this, Jesus is going to be abused and spit on and mocked and have his clothes stripped from him. And he's going to be nailed to a wooden cross for the whole city to see. It's in that moment that Luke says it like this. He says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Do you see someone worthy of forgiveness? Do you see someone asking for forgiveness? You see a Messiah pleading for their forgiveness despite them. God's forgiveness is given freely. We have to comprehend this. Listen, I like free stuff. I think most of us do. Um, free tickets. Listen, if you guys got all you people with fancy businesses throwing tickets around, send them my way. Free food. Everybody likes free food. Love free food. There's nothing better than that. Maybe my love language is, is gifts, and so this just appeals to me. But here's the deal. This is what Jesus is trying to say. It is free. There, there, there's, there's, there's nothing that you can do to earn this. In fact, this would have been a relatively new concept for a first century Jew to understand because it has never been free. God's forgiveness is, has never been free. It's always been strict animal sacrifice guidelines, going to the temple, circumcision, obeying the law. It's never been free. It's always been at a price. But here the new covenant of Jesus that he's, that he's unleashing upon his people says, it is free through my blood God's forgiveness is free. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, I think all of this really just sets the stage for, for scene two of this parable. And so we've seen this servant forgiven, and now he's going to go out and have the opportunity to do the same. So let's just read this again in verse 28. Here's what it says. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants and owed, who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. He demanded, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back 
the debt. Jesus is showing a very clear dichotomy in these two encounters. One, in fact, that he shows the differences is when he says, this man owed a hundred silver coins. And so a silver coin was a denarii, was, was a Roman currency. And one denarii was worth a day's wage for an average worker. And so this man owed a hundred days worth of work, right? Which is a pretty big, that's a big debt, right? But when you compare it to 10,000 bags of gold, it's, it's not that big of a debt. It's not that big of a deal. I don't know if you saw this uh, about a month ago. There was an NBA basketball player, Anthony Davis, who was fined $50,000 for tampering and asking for a trade. That was against, that's against their rules. And so the NBA fined him $50,000. And when you hear that, you kind of think, man, that's a lot of money just for saying something, right? That's a lot of money to me. In fact, if I do something wrong at church and Pastor Chris slaps me with a $50,000 fine, I gotta sell my truck and sell some stuff in order to pay that off. Like, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a problem for me. And it sounds big until you recognize that Mr. Davis is gonna make $29 million just this year. Then you're like, okay, maybe that, that didn't hurt that much, right? In fact, that'd be like us getting a parking ticket. This is what Jesus is trying to, to show. And maybe the words, they, they don't, this is what we have to understand. One owned 10,000 bags of gold, the other 100 silver coins. There's a huge difference. And this servant who didn't offer the same type, of, same type of forgiveness, even though it was a much more manageable situation, all of this really leads us to what I think Jesus is really trying to teach us in this parable. And that's this, is that our response to forgiveness is forgiveness. Our response to forgiveness is forgiveness, and it, it has to be. Remember, we're calling this section in Matthew's gospel growing deeper. And so when it, when it comes to recognizing who is a true disciple of Jesus, forgiveness is a marker. He's already challenged his, follow, his disciples in this chapter alone to, uh, to humble themselves like children, to, forget, to, uh, to deal with sin with, with yourself and with others. And now he gives them this relationship expectation that I would summarize like this. If you have received and understood the extravagant forgiveness of God, it will lead organically to practicing forgiveness with other people. It is our response when you have truly grasped your forgiveness, you will forgive others. You see, this type of revolutionary teaching uh, echoed its way into Paul's ministry. And so Paul, as he writes to the church in Ephesus, he says this, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. And that's not the only time. When he writes to the church in Colossae, he says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is very simple. Do you see the similarities? And the command is to forgive. Forgive, why? Because you have been forgiven. Jesus never asked us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Forgiveness to others is our natural response to the forgiveness that we have received. Listen, that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. What it means is that it has to be the desire of your heart because only someone who appreciates the forgiveness that God has given is in position to forgive in a similar matter. This is the truth that Jesus is trying to show us. And so the very first step in this forgiveness challenge is to appreciate God's forgiveness that has been given to you. That's what we're trying to do. That means that you don't take it for granted, although it's given freely, 
we have to appreciate, we have to be constantly reminded of what we deserve and what we get. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What you deserve and what you get, when you can constantly remind yourself of that truth, it can propel you to forgiveness. But if you're like me, you can be constantly reminded of your shortcomings. You'd be constantly reminded of the ways that, that I fail, the ways that I don't measure up, the ways that I they do make mistakes, the things that I can't get right, the things that I can't get, get fixed in my life. And, and sometimes that can lead me to feeling guilty. But I don't think that's how God wants us to live. He doesn't, he doesn't call us to be people who live with guilt. Maybe those things can draw us to be thankful that no matter where we are or what we have down or, or how far we've progressed as a disciple, the forgiveness is given freely. And when we are thankful for that, it propels us to forgive others. Here's the deal. The consequences of not participating in forgiveness are catastrophic. Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already started talking about this. He tells this parable now, but it's not the first time he's talked about forgiving other people. So Matthew 6, Jesus says this, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, somewhere along the line that we walk, our forgiveness is dependent upon whether we truly grasp appreciate and respond to God's free forgiveness he's given us. Francis of Assisi put it like this, it is in the pardoning that we are pardoned. What a simple yet powerful way to say what all of this means. And that leads us to scene three of this parable. So we've seen the servant forgiven. We've seen him uh, not give out the same type of forgiveness and then People notice this and the, and, and the other servants tell the king what has happened. And so the king finds out what has happened and Jesus wraps this up pretty cleanly, but he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says this in verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is, this is how he ends it. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's how Jesus wraps up his conversation with Peter about forgiveness. You wanna know how many times to forgive, Peter? You wanna know the answer to your question? There, there, there's, there's no limit. And in fact, there's no limit. And when you choose not to respond, when you choose not to forgive, this is what will happen. There's three, three words from this section that I really want you to see and help us to comprehend a little bit more about, about forgiveness. The first word is wicked. You see that in there. The king calls him wicked. And the Greek word here means evil, bad, and slothful. Like those are not words that I would want God to use about me, but this is, this is what he says. But here's what we have to understand. It has nothing to do with, with him, but everything to do with how he responded to his forgiveness. 
You see, he wasn't evil and wicked and bad when he racked up the debt. Do you understand that? He wasn't, he wasn't wicked because he racked up the debt. He was wicked because when his debt was forgiven, he didn't offer the same type of forgiveness. And if we are not careful in how we forgive other people, then we could also be categorized as wicked. You see, our lack of forgiveness could make us wicked. And if you do a word study on wicked, you're not going to find what you, you're not going to like what you find when, when you see what's coming for, for the wicked. And so we have to be very careful about this. But more importantly than that, the second word that I see in there is mercy. God calls us to specifically to have compassion, mercy, and, and pity on those who, who owe us. And I think this is where we all have to we all have to dive in just a little bit more and start to, to wrap our minds about what would it look like in your lives for you to, to do this now, to offer more compassion. In, in, in everyday scenarios, and in, in every day, I mean, I come into contact with people and you are given the opportunity to offer compassion, to see things from their perspective. What would it look like in the very smallest of ways for you to do that now to have mercy. You see, there's no clear statement or expectation from this parable than this. When, when the king says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That is the expectation. Mercy, forgiveness is the marker of a Jesus follower. 77 times, he says. But here's the deal. Jesus is not, he's not calling us to be a doormat for people where they can just walk all over us. He's calling us to be a doorway for redemption and restoration in relationships. He wants us to be the type of people that forgive to create restoration, to make things right. But perhaps the very most important word in this scene is the last one, heart. We're not supposed to forgive because we're told to do so. It's not the point. Our hope, the hope is that we forgive from our heart because our response to the gospel, it's our response to the forgiveness that we have seen at the cross. I have, a, I have two kids that are toddlers, a two and three-year-old that live in my house at the same time. And it can cause conflict sometimes. There's, there's stealing, there's there's pushing, there's, there's crying, there's just all kinds of stuff that's going on. And it can cause conflict. And if you've been around, and some of you guys know what I'm talking about, but you've been around parents of, of kids this age or even a little bit older, you've probably heard this before and, and you'll definitely hear it in my house. We say this, you go say sorry, right? You ever heard a parent say that? You go say sorry. And while that's important and we, we do that, um, it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't, solve, it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't fix anything long-term because forcing someone to say sorry or even forcing someone to forgive, it doesn't really fix anything. And that's why what we do next is so important. We explain to them, this is why that was wrong. This is why you hurt him. This is why you shouldn't do that. And when we explain that, the, the reason that we do that is that our hope, because what we don't want is our kids to be 20 years old and we still have to tell them, you go say sorry. Our hope is that they, they learn. Our hope is that by doing this, they begin to recognize when they have hurt someone and through their own heart, they go and apologize. That's the hope. And, and the reason because, is because forced obedience is never what Jesus was after. He was never after having a bunch of people that says, because I told you to do this, you do it. That's not what he's after. I believe that everything that Jesus talks about 
points back to our heart. It's not a matter of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs. It's a matter of your heart. He wants us to go deeper and make our actions a reflection of our heart. When you have truly grasped the magnitude of the cross, it will change your heart. When you recognize what you deserve, what is coming for you, and how Jesus stepped in and offers you forgiveness every single day, that should change your heart and propel you to live differently, propel you to forgive others. If you forgive because you were told to do so, then so be it. But the true disciple, one that truly follows Jesus, forgives because it comes from their heart, from their acknowledgement of how they have already been forgiven. So let me wrap this up into something practical for you, something to help you to take away. Who is it that you need to forgive? I don't know if there's someone that comes to mind right away if, or if you've been thinking about someone as I've been talking about this, but who is it? Maybe it's someone in your immediate family because oftentimes the people that, that are closest to you can hurt you the most. Sometimes the, we have to recognize who have we been hurt by? Who is it? Who is causing a strain? Who are we holding a grudge by? And I get it. Listen, when we talk about these things, it's, it's personal. It's, it's sensitive and it's sometimes uncomfortable to talk about. Maybe there's no one that comes to mind. Maybe you think, man, I'm, I'm good with everybody. I'm not at odds with anybody. And that's great. Good for you, actually. But for many of us, maybe there is someone. So who is that? Maybe you can identify them pretty quickly. And here's why I want you to think about that. My concern for us, because I know that it's true in my life, my concern is that when people hurt us, sometimes our natural response is just to dismiss them, to shut them out, to block them from our life, to say, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want you in my life. I don't want that negativity. I, I want to forget about this. Sometimes that is how we respond. But listen, that's not how it works. You will always be surrounded by people that you need to forgive because people are not perfect. And you will have to forgive people. And so if we just continue to shut them out, we're never dealing with the issue. My challenge, my hope for you today is that you start this battle today. No matter how big or how small it is, who is it that you need to forgive? Who has done something? Who has said something to you that you were holding on to? But maybe a better challenge today, something to take it a little bit further is this. Maybe today you need to pray that God would shape your heart to have the desire to forgive. Maybe your heart needs to change. Listen, you already can do it. The Holy Spirit is abiding and living inside of you, gives you the power to forgive. It is your choice to do so. Don't let me stand up here and scare you into forgiveness. From this parable, we can learn that forgiveness happens. Forgiveness happens when we recognize the weight and the gravity of how we have been forgiven and it changes our heart and propels us to forgive other people. May that shape your heart and the spirit of your gratitude to forgive the people around you. So may you today let that go and forgive. And what would happen if we all did this? What would happen if we all started to truly forgive? Can you imagine what your families would be like if you started offering the forgiveness that that has been given to you? What would your work be like? What your, your relationship with your employees, maybe at school, what would, it, what would it be like if you started forgiving people and not holding on to grudges? I tell you, your life would be different. Three years ago, 
There was a pastor on the north side of Indianapolis who, um, you maybe have saw this on the news, his name was Davy Blackburn. He came home one morning and he walked into his house and he found his pregnant wife was shot and killed inside their home. Just a, a devastating situation. How do you forgive the unforgivable? How do you find yourself in a moment where you say, how do you forgive that? So people ask him that. Here's what he says. People have asked me, how in the world can you forgive? He said, I started realizing that if I continue to let bitterness and hatred fuel everything that I do, then it's going to perpetuate. It's going to blow up everybody that I care about around me. My son is going to perpetuate bitterness and hatred. My staff is going to perpetuate bitterness and hatred. My friends, everything. And it's going to start this cycle. And so the way that I stop the cycle, the ways that I stop generational cycles, is that I have a full frontal assault against bitterness and hatred with love and kindness and forgiveness. You see, there is so much at stake when you decide to forgive or not to forgive. It's not just about you. And here's the reality. Some of you in here today, you've been hurt by somebody, but by something that they've done or something that they've said, and you're holding on to it and it's affecting you. And I'm here to tell you, it's not worth it. It is not worth it. I tell you, if we forgave, it would change our church. It would change our kids' lives. It's our students' lives. When they begin to see their parents and adults forgiving people, no matter the debt, it would change our community. There's so much potential that can be unleashed in all of us if we chose to forgive. But here's the deal. Some of you are sitting there just thinking right now, Matt, you don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what they said. This is a different situation. That's true. I don't know. But here's the deal. Jesus said one man owed 10,000 bags of gold, an unrepayable debt, and he was forgiven. And the other man owed 100 silver coins, and he didn't forgive. And Jesus ends the parable by saying, this is what's going to happen, and this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you will forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. Today, my hope is that God would move your heart to forgive because you have been forgiven. To be compelled through the view of the cross to forgive the minor offenses of the people in your life.